Welcome to today's broadcast of Sun, Salt, and Light. Sun, Salt, and Light, S-O-N, knowing and growing in your daily relationship with Jesus Christ, but also being the salt and the light in your marriage, in your family, at your place of work, at your church, and even in the community you're in. I'm Pastor Michael Petit. This is a radio ministry of our church, Calvary Chapel Divine, here in Divine, Texas. We are so glad that you joined us for today's broadcast. We are a Calvary Chapel, so we simply teach the Bible verse by verse, chapter by chapter. We believe that God uses His Word to transform, restore, and to change lives one verse at a time. If you're visiting our area, you'd like to get information about our church or church service times, maybe even track down some of the other teachings that we have available through podcasts, whether it's through Audible or Spotify or Apple Podcasts, you can do all of that at our church website at calvarydivine.org. That's calvarydivine.org. If you have your Bibles ready, today we'll be closing out the book of Malachi chapter 3, verses 6 through 18, and Malachi chapter 4, verses 1 through 6. I simply entitled this, Return to Me. This is the second half and conclusion to this two-part study. And is alive, he was lost and is found, and they begin to be married. See, the thing is, is very important, is that confession has to be done out loud, or it has to be done to God, right? To the Father. So you can sit in your regret all day long, but if you don't actually get up, like when you come to yourself, meaning that the Holy Spirit hits you in the heart and says, uh-uh, you need to repent. Are you going to do it? Are you going to turn from that sin and turn to God? That's what he's asking you to do. But you can sit in it all day long and just be regretful because that's what Judas was. He, he just had regret. It was Peter that actually repented. And so getting up and going to the Father is what we need to do. So when he says, return to me and I will return to you, the moment you confess it, there's blessings. There's always blessings and obedience. Always. Always. You mess up and you're going to mess up. Repent and turn to Him. Confess it. Don't let it linger because it will turn into something else. But that's what He tells them. In Acts chapter 3, verse 19, when the early church was getting started, Peter told them, Repent, therefore, and be converted that your sins may be blotted out. So that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord. Sadly, their response is like the spoiled children they are. In what way shall we return? Like, what don't you get? He says, return to me and I will... Re what, what are you not getting? It's sad, but the, there's a contrast there. And, and it's just to, to let us know when you see that but there, it's, that's how rebellious they are. They're rebellious because they are, they're like... You're making me feel shameful. You're triggering me. That's the new word of the day, right? You're triggering me. You're making me feel a way about my sin. Don't care. I don't care. I would rather be honest with you about what the word of God is. If you're upset, you're upset with God and you need to make you need you and God need to do business. But that's how the Israelites are. The other thing is is they're they're in self-deception. They believe, "Hey, I'm good. I don't know what you see, God, but I know I'm good. I look in the mirror, and there's nothing I need to repent of. That's what their response is given. 
In what way should we repent? Because we're perfect. We're your chosen people. He just gave off a whole list of sins, right? That they were doing. They were treating each other treacherously. They were marrying foreign women. And they were having divorces because they were treating each other treacherously in their marriages. And they were turning foreigners away from God. But they saw themselves as pure. The other thing they are doing is they're shifting blame. They're shifting blame. And they start making foolish excuses. In what way should we return? Don't do that. There's so much for us to learn in this. And some of us, uh, we have the same responses when God is saying, hey, you've been doing this thing and it needs to stop. Return to me. And you have one of those three responses. Man, I'm not like that dude. Right? You'll start. (laughs) But I'm not like him. That's no different than what the Israelites were doing. You see the sin that that guy's doing? I'm not like that. That's the importance of your conscience. Because you've been sealed, those of you that belong to to Jesus, you've been sealed with the Holy Spirit. You have no excuse. You know when you're not doing right. You know when you respond wrong. You know when there's an action that you shouldn't have had. You know it. So now God is going to hit them back with a rhetorical question as we look at robbed in verse 8. Will a man rob God, yet you have robbed me? But you say, and this is again their, their response, in what way have you robbed me? I mean, this is God. Do you think God needs to pull receipts out? No, right? He don't need to pull receipts out. He already knows. But he tells them, like, in your tithes and offering, you're defrauding and stealing from God. Everything that we have, everything that we own belongs to God. It was given to us by God. And yet what we'll do is go, no, no, man, I work for that. I put in the 60 hours to get that. God gave you that job. See, they were defrauding God because there were annual tithes that were supposed to be given to the Levites. You can read about that in Numbers chapter 18, verses 21 through 24. They had an income that they were supposed to give to the priests. You can read about that in Numbers 18, verses 25 through 32. And then there was a tithe for the worshipers to bring for the temple that they would, when they would bring, they would have a special meal for the Levites. And that's in Deuteronomy chapter 12, verses 6 and 7. And then there was a third year tithe, and this is what puzzles me. Like they were neglecting God and at the same time hurting the poor. There was a tithe that was supposed to happen in the third year. In Deuteronomy chapter 14, verses 28 through 29, that would actually help be used for the poor. So they were robbing God. They, weren't, they were keeping it all to themselves. They figured, hey, we just got out of captivity. It's been 40 years. God owes us. That's their attitude. Now, we know that the tithe that we always hear about is a tenth of the tithe, right? We went over that with Melchizedek as, as Abram gave a tenth of the tithe in Genesis 14, 18 through 20. Y'all can read these when you get time. I'm not going to sit and read through each one of these. Jacob also gave a tithe of 10% to God. But do you understand that all of that is the Old Testament? That's what you hear thrown out all the time. You're supposed to give 10%. 10%. Do you know most people don't even give 10% if we really broke it down? Some churches actually take your bank information and they take their 10%, which is crazy to me. 
Because that's not what it is. It's supposed to be the heart of worship. Because that was the Old Testament law. When we look at it, what we see is, and what we call it is grace giving. In 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 6 and 7, uh, it talks about how a person that, that sows sparingly will reap sparingly, and whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each one must give as he has decided in the heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. It's the heart of worship. It is decided. It's like each one must give as he has decided in his heart. You have the Holy Spirit in you. The number's already been given to you. Are you going to be obedient to it? That's the reality of it. Are you going to be obedient to it? I'm going to share something with you. I can't give too much detail because I don't want to, to, to say too much. But we did the books at our last church. I did them for six years. For Joe, that was part of my gig as an assistant pastor. I did the books, and we had this one lady, and and you may know who she is. Um, she gave ten dollars every month, and let me tell you something. That ten dollars was it hurt her to give that. I mean, she lives off of very little, but that ten dollar check was always there every week because it was about the heart of worship. Remember when Jesus is in the temple? And they're over there, you know, making noise with their tithes as they're dropping in. Because it had that, that metal. And so when the tide, with it, when they would throw their coins in, it would hit and it'd make a big sound. And so the Pharisees would love to come in with a big tithe and boom. And make all, and everybody's like, man, that was a lot of money. But he said when that widow came in, because she's a widow too. She's a widow. She's in her 80s. And I tell you, when COVID happened, that $10 check was there every week. When she was in the hospital, that $10 check was there every week. She gave as a cheerful giver. She is a prayer warrior. You want something, pray it, man, let her pray. But she, when I read that verse as a cheerful giver, that's who it reminds me of. It's not about the amount. It's about the consistency and the heart of worship. That's it. So when you have somebody throw out the thing, it's 10%. That's Old Testament, bro. What does it tell you in the New Testament? Just be a cheerful giver. That means actually laughing as you give. <laughs> and, and the thing is, is he tells you, test me. Test me. This is the one place where God says, test me. And it's part of your worship. And you go, well, man, Mike, we're just going to make you richer. You're not making me rich. I don't, I don't have a salary. I do this for free. Okay? That's just FYI. So when I come in here with new shoes or new hat and whatever, don't, don't be like, hey, pastor, spending money. It's my money. I'm not on salary. I love what I get to do. God has blessed me with the ability to be able to do this. Now, my hope is one day somebody, as we grow and continue to grow, that somebody will be able to be put on salary to lead the church. So that way they can dedicate their whole time to it because it requires all of you. But church costs money. It's a business, too. I used to think, and this is how goofy I was, you know, again, Alabama, just understand, educate, not well. I don't even speak well half the time. But I used to think, I remember when I first walked in the church, I thought, well, you're a nonprofit. They just give you the electricity. You probably get a grant or something. You get the electric, you get the water, you get all. No, you have to pay a lease. You have, you have to pay electric. You have to. I didn't know all that. 
I thought they just give them that. Joe goes, no, Mike, here's the bill. <laughs> so I had to learn. But one of the things I learned early on is, you know, is I, I want to be consistent in it. And I want it to be whatever God puts on my heart to do, that's what I'm going to give. So even us as a church, okay, even us as a church, I looked at our budget this year, we gave more than 10%. And God allowed us to do that to missionaries, to people that are actually right now, Miss Christina in Chile has gone to already two jails, two youth jails in Chile to share the gospel. And y'all are part of that blessing. The missionary work, there's a men's conference going on in Iopato, Mexico. There are men coming, coming to faith this weekend. They came to faith this weekend, and you're part of that blessing. You'll never know these guys until our, our, our gals until you get into heaven. And they're going to be, I know you. And you're going to be like, I don't know you. You blessed them. So that's why as a church, we, we give as well. We give out to missionaries. We got one in Abkhazia, which is near Sochi, Russia. And then we have Oscar and Liz in uh, Itapato, Mexico. And then we have Miss Christina in Chile. And then Austin Carlisle, who goes out to all the schools and shares the gospel. And so we're not asking anything that the church is not doing. So just FYI. And that's all I'm going to talk about this. Okay? Because, again, I don't want to belabor it. I don't want to make you feel guilty. Because I believe that this church has been so blessed that we do have... This church has a bunch of cheerful givers, and I thank y'all for that. Verse 8 says, Will a man rob God, yet you have robbed me? But say, In what way have you robbed in tithes and offerings? You are cursed with the curse, for you have robbed me, even this whole nation. And so when he tells them this, he's letting them know, like, look, I'm going to still fulfill the promise that is going to happen, but the things that are happening with the famine that you've been going through the things that have been happening with the conflicts that you've been going through that's because of you not following me those are all your own that's you know that's what you've done and what's happened is they're they're hanging on tightly like i can't let this go we got to hang on to this so their first fruits aren't even going to god and he tells them your words have been harsh against me says the lord yet you say what have we spoken against you the word harsh means that it's grieving. Grieving. You have said it is useless to serve God. Those are probably some of the saddest words in the Bible. It is useless to serve God. What profit is it that we have kept his ordinance and that we have walked as mourners before the Lord of hosts? Well, here's a couple things here. Well, were they keeping their ordinances, the commands? Nope. But see, again, they thought in their eyes, we're keeping the commandments. That's how blinded they were. But they're like, hey, we're serving you, and, and we're doing all this stuff. What profit is it? We're not living in prosperity. God never promised you a rose garden, okay? He told you that you were going to have sufferings and trials and tribulation. And within that, God uses that to grow us. And sadly, we have two things that happen when we go through that. If you're a follower of God and you're His, you'll either, one, have your heart softened, and you'll be molded the way that God needs you to be molded to mature and grow you, or to work whatever issue out that He needs to work out in your life, and you're, you're good. I understand. Like, how many of us pray, Lord, I'm in this circumstance, but Lord, 
whatever you need to show me, show me. Are we praying, Lord, get me out of this? Right? And so what he does is, is we see the other response from the Israelites. What do they do? This is what happens. You go through trials, tribulations, and you, your heart hardens. And you get upset. Because God's not doing things the way that you want them done. How dare you? And you start questioning God the same way that they're questioning God. Because look, why, why, why does the neighbor have this? And I don't, I, I've been working and I've been serving. What does it profit for me to do this? Right? You know, at the end of the day, we have no idea what the rest of your story looks like. That trial, that suffering, that you may end up writing a book that helps millions. You have no clue. You may end up becoming somebody who goes out and teaches to talk about suffering and help people who are going through stuff. You have no clue. God is going to use that to mold you, to grow you, to mature you, to help others. You have no idea. But if you harden your heart, the next thing that's going to happen is you're going to start drifting. And as the heart gets harder, the sin gets easier to do. And this is where the Israelites are at today. And this is where most of the Western church is at today, the majority. Their hearts are hardened. They're upset. You know, they think they got some new, man, as smart as Paul was, they think they got some new revelation. Uh, we know, like, Jesus got it wrong. Like, he's the son of God. Are you crazy? But they think that. Hearts harden. You start following lies. Nobody said it's going to be easy to serve God. Okay? God needs to grow you as a servant. And every one of us have been called to be a servant. We've been called to do three things. We are to be like Christ, which is to be humble, obedient, and be a servant to God. Those are the three things that God has called us to do. A lot of times what happens is when people step into that role of serving, we just wait because we know the enemy is going to go after them. It happens. And some people are just like, oh, it's too much. I quit. Try teaching twice a week and see how much stuff gets thrown at you. God is, is, is still molding and growing me twice a week as I prepare for my teachings. There are things I'm going in, I'm looking, I'm like, man, I got to work on that. We need to be committed to serving and serving each other. But see, some of us think that just because I'm serving, my life should be better. I'm serving you, God. Some think, well, I'm serving God, so where is the prosperity at? We don't teach that here. That's in Houston, Okay. Those guys fly from one end of the Houston to the other by helicopter on Sunday. That's a prosperity movement that we don't teach. We don't expect our rewards until we get to heaven. And honestly, I'm happy just to be in heaven. Don't have to be rewards. But that's how much God loves you. Verse 15, so now we, were called, we, we call the proud blessed for those who do wickedness are raised up and then... They even tempt God and go free. And then they go, they, those who hear, feared the Lord spoke to one another. And the Lord listened and, and heard them. This is the remnant. And so a book of remembrance was written before him. For those who fear the Lord and who meditate on his name, they shall be mine, says the Lord of hosts, on the day that I make my jewels and I will spare them as, as, I, as a man spares his own son who serves him. Then you shall... Uh, Again, discern between the righteous and the wicked, between the one who serves God and the one who does not serve him. So God is getting everything back on track again. There is these, the, the, this remnant that's saying, Lord, we'll follow you. 
We need to repent. We need to return to you. And he's like, hey, you are my treasure. You're my gem, my jewel. And he tells us that in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 18, the eyes of, of your understanding be enlightened that you may know what is the hope of his calling, what are the riches of his glory, and the inheritance in, his, uh, in the saints. We're God's treasure. And then lastly, we see remember in verses, uh, chapter 4. And we'll get to, through this pretty quick, I promise. Uh, For behold, the day is coming, burning like an oven. I think we felt that this summer, right? It felt like it was burning like an oven. <laughs> How bad did you not like that heat? And think of hell, right? See, people have no clue. They want to come to Phoenix or Texas or, you know, any of they, they Go to Laredo and then tell me you want to sit in hell. Because it's hot, 115. I've been in the desert where it's 126, 121 degrees in a mop suit, sweating. No, burning like an oven. I understand that. And all the proud, yes, all who do wickedly will, will be stubble. And the day which is coming shall burn them up, says the Lord of hosts, that they will leave them neither root nor branch. He's lighting this day of judgment. It talks about it in Zephaniah chapter 1, verses 14 through 18. And it's talking about the great day of the Lord. The great day of the Lord is near. It is near and hastens quickly. The noise of the day, the Lord is, is bitter. The mighty men shall cry out. That day is a day of wrath, a day of trouble and distress, a day of devastation and desolation, a day of darkness and gloominess, a day of clouds and thick, thick darkness, a day of trumpet and alarm against the fortified cities, against the high towers. And this is the part that's really rough. I will bring distress upon men, and they shall walk like blind men, because they have sinned against the Lord, and their blood shall be poured out like dust, and their flesh like refuse. Neither the silver nor their gold shall be able to deliver them in the day of the Lord's wrath, but the whole land shall be devoured by the fire of his jealousy, for he will make a speedy riddance of all those who dwell in the land. He's like, look, when the day of judgment comes, it's going to be swift. And your money ain't going to help you. Ain't going to help you. And it's all going to get burned up. All of it. All of it. But he says, but to you who fear my name, the Son, S-U-N, of righteousness, shall arise with healing in his wings and shall go out and grow fat like stall-fed uh, calves. And so we see the son of righteousness. The son is the one that gives light, the S-U-N, to the whole earth. And then we have the, uh, the day of the oven will be wicked. But when you talk about the son of righteousness, it's, it's joy. It's the son of righteous. Uh, Jesus will come back and he is righteousness and he will cover the whole earth. And he says, you shall trample the wicked, for they shall be ashes under the soles of your feet on, the day, on that day I do this, says the Lord of hosts. Remember the law of Moses, my servant, which I commanded him in Horeb for all Israel with the statutes and judgment. Horeb is actually the uh, alternate name for Mount Sinai. That's where the Ten Commandments were given. And then it says, behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the coming of the great day, the great and dreadful day of the Lord. And he will return the hearts of the fathers to the children and the hearts of the children to their fathers lest I come and strike the earth with the curse. Now we know that, that uh, 
John the Baptist came in the spirit of Elijah, and we understand that through Luke chapter 1, verse 17. It says, He will also go before him in the spirit and the power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the, uh, of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just and to make ready the people and prepare for the Lord. But there is a sense in, the, in which this has not yet been fulfilled. And so what we have here is with, with Jesus, Jesus came as, as a visitor, as a savior, right? As the Lamb of God. He hasn't come back as the judge yet. And then you have John the Baptist who came in the spirit of Elijah. But what I believe, and anyone who reads, and I, I would highly recommend you read Revelation 11. It explains the two witnesses. And, and what I believe is that Moses and Elijah will be the ones that actually come to be the two witnesses. And, and the reason why I say that, look, just look at Malachi. He mentions Moses and Elijah in verses 4 and 5, right? And then we also know who has the ability to command fire uh, to fall from heaven and to make rain stop. Revelation 11, 5 uh, and 6 is Elijah. And who can bring on plagues? No one like Moses. In Revelation 11, verse 6. So the question that, that I have for you as we close out today is, is there something that you need to do to return to God? Well, that concludes today's broadcast of Sun, Salt, and Light Radio. We hope that you enjoyed it. If you'd like to submit a prayer request or get in contact with us or find out service times, you can do all of that at our website, uh, as well as get uh, our podcast at Spotify, Audible, TuneIn Radio. Pretty much wherever you can find a podcast, uh, you, you can just type in Sun, Salt, and Light, and you'll find it. 